0: chapter forty nine of miss marchbanks this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. miss marchbanks by mrs oliphant chapter forty nine it is probable that mr cavendish considered the indulgence above recorded all the more excusable in that it was saturday night the nomination was to take place on monday and if a man was not supposed to be done with his work on the saturday evening when could he be expected to have a moment of repose he had thought as he went home for naturally while putting himself so skilfully in the way of temptation such questions had not entered into his mind that the fact of tomorrow being sunday would effectually neutralize any harm he could have been supposed to have done by a visit so simple and natural and that neither his sister nor his committee the two powers of which he stood in a certain awe could so much as hear of it until the election was over and all decided for good or for evil this had been a comfort to his mind but it was the very falsest and most deceitful consolation that intervening sunday was a severer calamity for mr cavendish than half a dozen ordinary days the general excitement had risen so high and all the chances on both sides had been so often discussed and debated that something new was as water in the desert to the thirsting constituency the story was all through grange lane that very night but carlingford itself from st rokes to the wilderness of the north end tingled with it next morning it is true the rector made no special allusion to it in his sermon though the tone of all his services was so sad and his own fine countenance looked so melancholy that mr Burry's devoted followers could all see that he had something on his mind but mr tufton at salem chapel was not so reticent he was a man quite famous for his extempore gifts and who rather liked to preach about any very recent public event which it was evident to all hearers could not have found place in a prepared discourse and his sermon that morning was upon wickedness in high places upon men who sought the confidence of their fellows only to betray it and offered to the poor man a hand red with his sisters metaphorical blood but it would be wrong to say that this was the general tone of public opinion in grove street most people on the contrary thought of mr cavendish not as a wolf thirsting for the lamb's blood but rather himself as a kind of lamb caught in the thicket and about to be offered up in sacrifice such was the impression of a great many influential persons who had been wavering hit hereto and inclining on the whole to mr cavendish's liberal principles and supposed low church views a man whose hand is read metaphorically with your sister's blood is no doubt a highly objectionable personage but it is doubtful whether under the circumstances an enlightened constituency might not consider the man who had given a perfectly unstained hand to so thoroughly unsatisfactory a sister as more objectionable still and the indignation of grange lane at Barber's reappearance was nothing to the fury of george street and even of wharfside where the bargees began to scoff openly society had nothing worse to say than to quote mrs chiley and assert that these artist people were all adventurers and then grange lane in general could not forget that it had met barbara nor dismiss from its consideration her black eyes her level brows and her magnificent contralto whereas in the other region the idea of the member for carlingford marrying that sort cast all the world into temporary delirium it was a still more deadly offence to the small people than to the great and the exceptional standing which poor mr lake and his daughter rose used to lay claim to the rank of their own which they possess as artists was a pretension much more disagreeable to the shopkeepers than to society in general thus in every sense mr cavendish had done the very worst for himself by his ill-timed indulgence and his guilt was about the same with most of his critics whether he meant perfectly well and innocently or entertained the most guilty intentions ever conceived by man and all his misfortunes were increased by the fact that the intervening day was a sunday barbara lake herself who did not know what people were saying and who if she had known would not have cared come to church as was natural in the morning and under pretence that the family pew was full had the assurance as people remarked to come to the middle aisle in that same silk dress which rustled like tin and made more demonstration than the richest draperies the pew-opener disapproved of her as much as everybody else did but she could not turn the intruder out and though barbara had a long time to wait and was curiously inspected by all the eyes near her while she did so the end was that she got a seat in her rustling silk not very far from where lucilla sat in deep mourning a model of every righteous observance as for poor barbara she too was very exemplary in church she meant nobody any harm poor soul she could not help the flashing of those big black eyes to which the level line above them gave such a curious appearance of obliqueness. nor was it to be expected that she should deny herself the use of her advantages or omit to take the second in all the canticles with such melodious liquid tones as made everybody stop and look around she had a perfect right to do it indeed it was her duty as it is everybody's duty to aid to the best of their ability in the church music of their parish which was what lucilla marchbanks persisted in saying in answer to all objections but the effect was great in the congregation and even the rector himself was seen to change colour as his eye fell upon the unlucky young woman mr cavendish for his part knew her voice the moment he heard it and gave a little start and received such a look from his sister who was standing by him as turned him to stone mrs Woodburn looked at him and so did her husband and mr centum turned a solemnly inquiring reproachful gaze upon him from the other side of the aisle oh harry you will kill me with vexation why for goodness sake did you let her come his sister whispered when they had all sat down again good heavens how could i help it cried poor mr cavendish almost loud enough to be heard and then by the slight almost imperceptible hum around him he felt that not only his sister and his committee but the rector and all carlingford had their eyes upon him and was thankful to look up the lesson poor man and bury his face in it it was a hard punishment for the indiscretion of an hour but perhaps of all the people concerned it was the rector who was the most to be pitied he had staked his honour upon mr cavendish's repentance and here was he going back publicly to wallow in the mire and it was sunday when such a worldly subject ought not to be permitted to enter a good man's mind much less to be discussed and acted upon as it ought to be if anything was to be done for there was little more than this sacred day remaining in which to undo the mischief which too great a confidence in human nature had wrought and then to tell the truth the rector did not know how to turn back it would have been hard very hard to have told all the people who confided in him that he had never had any stronger evidence for mr cavendish's repentance than he now had for his backsliding and to give in and let the other side have it all their own way and throw over the candidate with whom he had identified himself was as painful to mr Berry as if instead of being very low church he had been the most muscular of christians being in this state of mind it may be supposed that his sister's mild wonder and trembling speculations at lunch when they were alone together were well qualified to raise some sparks of that old adam who though well kept under still existed in the rectors as in most other human breasts but dear edward i would not quite condemn him miss Barry said he has been the cause of a good deal of remark you know and the poor girl has been talked about he may think it is his duty to make her amends for anything we can tell he may have the most honourable intentions oh bother his honourable intentions said the rector such an exclamation from him was as bad as the most dreadful oath from an ordinary man and very nearly made miss Barry drop from her chair in amazement things must have gone very far indeed when the rector himself disregarded all proprieties and the sacredness of the day in such a wildly daring fashion for to tell the truth in his secret heart mr Berry was himself a little of the way of thinking of the people in grove street strictly speaking if a man has done anything to make a young woman be talked about every well-principled person ought to desire that he should make her amends but at the same time at such a crisis there was little consolation in the fact that the candidate one was supporting and doing daily battle for had honourable intentions in respect to barbara lake if it had been rose lake it would still have been a blow but rose was unspeakably respectable and nobody could have said a syllable on the subject while barbara who came to church in a tin gown and rustled up the middle aisle in it attracting all eyes and took such a second in the canticles that she overwhelmed the choir itself barbara who had made people talk at lucilla's parties and had been ten years away wandering over the face of the earth nobody could tell where governessing singing play-acting perhaps for anything that anybody could tell a clergyman it is true dared not have said such a thing and mr berry's remorse would have been better could he have really believed himself capable even of thinking it but still it is certain that the unconscious unexpressed idea in his mind was that the honorable intentions were the worst of it that a candidate might be a fool or even an unrepentant sinner and after all it would be chiefly his own concern but that so much as to dream of making barbara lake the member's wife was the deepest insult that could be offered to carlingford the rector carried his burden silently all day and scarcely opened his lips as all his sympathetic following remarked but before he went to bed he made a singular statement the complete accuracy of which an impartial observer might be disposed to doubt but which mr bury uttered with profound sincerity and with a sigh of self-compassion now i understand lucilla Marchbanks, was what the good man said and he all but puffed out the candle he had just lighted with that sigh lucilla however in her own person took no part in it at all one way or other she shook hands very kindly with barbara and hoped she would come and see her and made it clearly apparent that she at least bore no malice i am very glad i told thomas to say nothing about it she said to aunt jemima who not knowing the circumstances was at a loss to understand what it signified and then the two ladies walked home together and miss marjoribanks devoted herself to her good books it was almost the first moment of repose that lucilla had ever had in her busy life and it was a repose not only permitted but enjoined society which had all along expected so much from her expected now that she could not find herself able for any exertion and miss marjoribanks responded nobly as she had always done to the requirements of society to a mind less perfectly regulated the fact that the election which had been so interesting to her was now about as may be said to take place without her would have been of itself a severe trial and the sweet composure with which she bore it was not one of the least remarkable phenomena of the present crisis but the fact was that this sunday was on the whole an oppressive day mr ashburton came in for a moment it is true between services but he himself though generally so steady was unsettled and agitated he had been braving the excitement well enough until this last almost incredible accident occurred which made it possible that he might not only win but win by a large majority the dissenters have all held out till now and would not pledge themselves he said to lucilla actually with a tremble in his voice and then he told her about mr tufton's sermon and the wickedness in high places and the hand imbrued metaphorically in his sister's blood. I wonder how he could say so, said Lucilla, with indignation. It is just like those dissenters. What harm was there in going to see her? I heard of it last night, but even for your interest, I would never have spread such mere gossip as that. No, certainly it is mere gossip, said Mr. Ashburton. But it will do him a great deal of harm all the same and thence once more he got restless and abstracted i suppose it is of no use asking you if you would join lady richmond's party at the blue boar you could have a window almost to yourself you know and would be quite quiet lucilla shook her head and the movement was more expressive than words i did not think you would said mr ashburton and then he took her hand and his looks too became full of meaning then i must say adieu he said adieu until it is all over i shall not have a moment that i can call my own this will be an eventful week for me you mean an eventful day said lucilla for mr ashburton was not such a novice as to be afraid of the appearance he would have to make at the nomination he did not contradict her but he pressed her hand with a look which was equivalent to kissing it though he was not romantic enough to go quite that length when he was gone miss marjoribanks could not but wonder a little what he could mean by looking forward to an eventful week for her own part she could not but feel that after so much excitement things would feel rather flat for the rest of the week and that it was almost wrong to have an election on a tuesday could it be that mr ashburton had some other contest or candidateship in store for himself which he had not told her about such a thing was quite possible but what had lucilla in her morning to do with worldly contingencies she went back to her seat in the corner of the sofa and her book of sermons and read fifty pages before tea-time she knew how much because she had put a mark in her book when mr ashburton came in marks are very necessary things generally in sermon books and lucilla could not but feel pleased to think that since her visitor went away she had got over so much ground to compare carlingford to a volcano that night and indeed all the next day which was a day of nomination would be a stale similitude and yet in some respects it was like a volcano it was not the same kind of excitement which arises in a town where politics run very high if there are any towns nowadays in such a state of unsophisticated nature neither was it a place where simple corruption could carry the day for the freedmen of wharfside were after all but a small portion of the population it was in reality a quite ideal sort of contest a contest for the best man such as would have pleased the purest minded philosopher it was the man most fit to represent carlingford for whom everybody was looking not a man to be baited about parish rates and reform bills and the irish church a man who lived in or near the town and dealt regular at all the best shops a man who would not disgrace his constituency for any unlawful or injudicious sort of love-making who would attend to the town's interests and subscribe to its charities and take the lead in a general way this was what carlingford was looking for as miss marjoribanks with that intuitive rapidity which was characteristic of her genius had once remarked and when everybody went home from church and chapel though it was sunday the whole town thrilled and throbbed with this great question people might have found it possible to condone a sin or wink at a mere backsliding but there were few so bigoted in their faith as to believe that the man who was capable of marrying barbara lake could ever be the man for Carlingford. and thus it was that mr cavendish who had been flourishing like a green bay tree withered away as it were in a moment and the place that had known him knew him no more the hustings were erected at that central spot just under the windows of the blue boar where grange lane and george street meet the most central point in carlingford it was so near that lucilla could hear the shouts and the music and all the diverse noises of the election but could not even when she went into the very corner of the window and strained her eyes to the utmost see what was going on which was a very trying position we will not linger upon the proceedings or excitement of monday when the nomination and the speeches were made and when the show of hands was certainly thought to be in mr cavendish's favour but it was the next day that was the real trial lady richmond and her party drove past at a very early hour and looked up at miss marjoribanks's windows and congratulated themselves that they were so early and that poor dear lucilla would not have the additional pain of seeing them go past but lucilla did see them though with her usual good sense she kept behind the blind she never did anything absurd in the way of early rising on ordinary occasions but this morning it was impossible to restrain a certain excitement and though it did her no good still she got up an hour earlier than usual and listened to the music and heard the cabs rattling about and could not help it if her heart beat quicker it was perhaps a more important crisis for miss marjoribanks than for any other person save one in carlingford for of course it would be foolish to attempt to assert that she did not understand by this time what mr ashburton meant and it may be imagined how hard it was upon lucilla to be thus as it were in the very outside row of the assembly to hear all the distant shouts and sounds everything that was noisy and inarticulate and conveyed no meaning and to be out of reach of all that could really inform her as to what was going on she saw from her window the cabs rushing past now with her own violet and green colours now with the blue and yellow and sometimes it seemed to lucilla that the blue and yellow predominated and that the carriages which mounted the hostile standard carried voters in larger numbers and more enthusiastic condition the first load of bargemen that came up grange lane from the further end of wharfside were all blues and when the spectator is thus held on the very edge of the event in a suspense which grows every moment more intolerable especially when he or she is disposed to believe that things in general go on all the worse for his or her absence it is no wonder if that spectator becomes nervous and sees all the dangers at their darkest what if after all old liking and friendship had prevailed over that beautiful optimism which lucilla had done so much to instil into the minds of her townsfolk what if something more mercenary and less elevating than the ideal search for the best man in which she had hoped carlingford was engaged should have swayed the popular mind to the other side all these painful questions went through lucilla's mind as the day crept on and her suspense was much aggravated by aunt jemima who took no real interest in the election but who kept saying every ten minutes i wonder how the poll is going on i wonder what that is they are shouting is it ashburton forever or cavendish for ever lucilla your ear should be sharper than mine but i think it is cavendish lucilla thought so too and her heart quaked within her and she went and squeezed herself into the corner of the window to try whether it was not possible to catch a glimpse of the field of battle and her perseverance was finally rewarded by the sight of the extremity of the wooden planks which formed the polling booth but there was little satisfaction to be got out of that and then the continued dropping of aunt Jemima's questions drove her wild my dear aunt she said at last i can see nothing and hear nothing and you know as much about what is going on as i do which it will be acknowledged was not an answer such as one would have expected from lucilla's perfect temper and wonderful self-control the election went on with its usual commotion while miss marjoribanks watched and waited mr cavendish's committee brought their supporters very well up in the morning no doubt by way of making sure of them as somebody suggested on the other side and for some time mrs Woodburn's party at masters's windows which masters had given rather reluctantly by way of pleasing the rector looked in better spirits and less anxious than lady richmond's party which was at the blue boar towards noon mr cavendish himself went up to his female supporters with the bulletin of the poll the same bulletin which mr ashburton had just sent down to lucilla these were the numbers and they made masters triumphant while silence and anxiety fell upon the blue boar cavendish two hundred eighty three ashburton two hundred seventy five when miss marjoribanks received this disastrous intelligence she put the note in her pocket without saying a word to aunt jemima and left her window and went back to her worsted work but as for mrs Woodburn, she gave her brother a hug and laughed and cried and believed in it like a silly woman as she was it is something quite unlooked for and which i never could have calculated upon she said thrusting her hand into an imaginary waistcoat with mr ashburton's very look and tone which was beyond measure amusing to all the party they laughed so long and were so gay that lady richmond solemnly levelled her opera-glass at them with the air of a woman who was used to elections but knew how such parvenus have their heads turned by a prominent position that woman is taking some of us off she said but if it is me i can bear it there is nothing so vulgar as that sort of thing and i hope you never encourage it in your presence my dears just at that moment however an incident occurred which took up the attention of the ladies at the windows and eclipsed even the interest of the election poor barbara lake was interested too to know if her friend would win she was not entertaining any particular hopes or plans about him years and hard experiences had humbled barbara the brussels veil which he used to dream of had faded as much from her memory as poor rose's honiton design for which she had got the prize at the present moment instead of nourishing the ambitious designs which everybody laid to her charge she would have been content with the very innocent privilege of talking a little to her next employers about mr cavendish the member for carlingford and his visits to her father's house but at the same time she had once been fond of him and she took a great interest in him and was very anxious that he should win and she was in the habit like so many other women of finding out as far as she could what was going on and going to see everything that there might be to see she had brought one of her young brothers with her whose anxiety to see the fun was quite as great as her own and she was arrayed in the tin dress her best available garment which was made long according to the fashion and which as barbara scorned to tuck it up was continually getting trodden on and talked about and reviled at on that crowded pavement the two parties of ladies saw and even it might be said heard the sweep of the metallic garment which was undergoing such rough usage and which was her best poor soul lady richmond had alighted from her carriage carefully tucked up though there were only a few steps to make and there was no lady in carlingford who would have swept a good gown over the stones in such a way but then poor barbara was not precisely a lady and thought it right to look as if it did not matter she went up to read the numbers of the poll in the sight of everybody and she clasped her hands together with ecstatic satisfaction as she read and young carmine her brother dashed into the midst of the fray and shouted cavendish forever hurrah for cavendish and could scarcely be drawn back again to take his sister home even when she withdrew she did not go home but went slowly up and down grange lane with her rustling train behind her with the intention of coming back for further information lady richmond and mrs woodburn both lost all thought of the election as they watched and lo when their wandering thoughts came back again the tide had turned the tide had turned whether it was barbara or whether it was fate or whether it was the deadly unanimity of these dissenters who after all their wavering had at last decided for the man who dealt in george street no one could tell but by two o'clock mr ashburton was so far ahead that he felt himself justified in sending another bulletin to lucilla so far that there was no reasonable hope of the opposite candidate ever making up his lost ground mrs Woodburn was not a woman to be content when reasonable hope was over she clung to the last possibility desperately and with a pertinacity beyond all reason and swore in her heart that it was barbara that had done it and cursed her with her best energies which however as these are not melodramatic days was a thing which did the culprit no possible harm when barbara herself came back from her promenade in grange lane and saw the altered numbers she again clasped her hands together for a moment and looked as if she were going to faint and it was at that moment that mr cavendish's eyes fell upon her as ill fortune would have it they were all looking at him as if it was his fault and the sight of that sympathetic face was consoling to the defeated candidate he took off his hat before everybody probably as his sister afterwards said he would have gone and offered her his arm had he been near enough how could anybody wonder after that that things had gone against him and that notwithstanding all his advantages he was the loser in the fight as for lucilla she had gone back to her worsted work when she got mr ashburton's first note in which his rival's name stood above his own she looked quite composed and aunt jemima went on teasing with her senseless questions but miss marjoribanks put up with it all though the lingering progress of these hours from one o'clock to four the sound of calves furiously driven by the distant shouts the hum of indefinite din that filled the air exciting every moment a keener curiosity and giving no satisfaction or information would have been enough to have driven a less large intelligence out of its wits lucilla bore it doing as much as she could of her worsted work and saying nothing to nobody except indeed an occasional word to aunt jemima who would have an answer she was not walking about grange lane saying a kind of prayer for the success of her candidate as barbara lake was doing but perhaps on the whole barbara had the easiest time of it at that moment of uncertainty when the next report came lucilla's fingers trembled as she opened it so great was her emotion but after that she recovered herself as if by magic she grew pale and then gave a kind of sob and then a kind of laugh and finally put her worsted work back into her basket and threw mr ashburton's note into the fire it is all right said lucilla mr ashburton is a hundred ahead and they can never make up that i am so sorry for poor mr cavendish if he only had not been so imprudent on saturday night i am sure i don't understand you said aunt jemima after being so anxious about one candidate how can you be so sorry for the other i suppose you did not want them both to win yes i think that was what i wanted said lucilla drying her eyes and then she awoke to the practical exigencies of the position there will be quantities of people coming to have a cup of tea and i must speak to nancy she said and went downstairs with a cheerful heart it might be said to be as good as decided so far as regarded mr ashburton and when it came for her final judgment what was it that she ought to say it was very well that miss marjoribanks's unfailing foresight led her to speak to nancy for the fact was that after four o'clock when the polling was over everybody came in to tea all lady richmond's party came as a matter of course and mr ashburton himself for a few minutes bearing meekly his new honours and so many more people besides that but for knowing it was a special occasion and that our gentleman was elected nancy's mind could never have borne the strain and the tea that was used was something frightful as for aunt jemima who had just then a good many thoughts of her own to occupy her and did not care so much as the rest for all the chatter that was going on, nor for all these details about poor Barbara and Mr. Cavendish's looks which Lucilla received with such interest. She could not but make a calculation in passing as to this new item of fashionable expenditure, into which her niece was plunging so wildly. To be sure, it was an occasion that never might occur again, and everybody was so excited as to forget even that Lucilla was in mourning, and that such a number of people in the house So soon might be more than she could bear, and she was excited herself and forgot that she was not able for it. But still, Aunt Jemima sitting by could not help thinking that even five o'clock teas of good quality and unlimited amount would very soon prove to be impracticable upon two hundred a year. End of chapter forty nine recording by Marisel Quay.